This is a Brain Channel program. Visit us at uctv.tv brain to explore cutting-edge research, treatment options for conditions related to the nervous system, and the inner workings of the human mind. Greetings, Bill Mobley for the Compassion Forum. This is a production of the Sanford Institute for Empathy and Compassion. And in this series, I'm trying to really show you the very human, very real side of our leadership that's working so hard during this pandemic to bring health and well-being to our UCSD community, but beyond UCSD to San Diego and, and, and beyond. So I'm very pleased to be uh, here today with David Brenner, Vice Chancellor for Health Sciences. David, a, a, a real leader, a person who's transformed in the last many years our health sciences efforts in our campus and really can be so proud of his role as leader through so many interesting times. David, everybody knows your name, but let's let's hear about David Brenner, the human being, and tell us about your background and, and a little bit about yourself. Okay. I don't know if anyone else will be interested in this other than my children, but I'm happy to I'm happy to do this. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I, as you can pick up from my accent, originally from New York. <laughs> And um, I spent uh, most of my education on the East Coast, and I, um, I trained at, um, at Yale and then the National Institutes of Health, and I was always very research-oriented. I mean, the appeal of medicine, to a large extent, was the appeal of um, unknown problems and trying to solve problems and improve even health through research. And um, then... Um, on a dare, I moved um, west of the Hudson River for the first time to do my um, fellowship at UC San Diego in 1985. My youngest um, child is the only native Californian in the group. He was born at UC San Diego, Hillcrest. And, um, and then um, I completed my fellowship. I started doing research in liver disease. I, um, I loved this place, but I was interested also in, um, in leadership and um, development programs. So I did what many academic physicians do. And when it was time um, after um, four years on the faculty here, I moved to um, University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, um, become um, professor in chief of gastroenterology. And um, that was um, also very different from New York and La Jolla. <laughs> the, uh, the, the joke about Chapel Hill is any direction you leave Chapel Hill, you're going south. And um, it was a very sophisticated, you know, academic health system, university surrounded by um, tobacco farms, you know, and uh, agriculture. Um, but um, it was a great place um, to raise the children. They would run to the forest with their dog. No one ever locked their houses. And it was a very collegial academic uh, medical center where there was a lot of um, collaboration, support, and interest in um, um, student development, faculty development. And, and I first got interested in, um, in this through the, um, the fellowship, through um, the um, NIH-funded um, Digestive Disease Center. And I sort of got some ideas about um, what you can do at a bigger scale, you know, how you could um, use, um, you know, my basic understanding of research and clinical care to, to, to leverage into asking, you know, bigger problems. So um, the, um, 
the, the joke is that after, you know, in Chapel Hill um, for um, 10 years, my youngest went to college and my dog died and it was time to move. I did get a new dog, so don't worry about that. <laughs> but, uh, and we moved to New York where I was um, chief of um, chairman of medicine and physician chief at um, um, Columbia New York Presbyterian Hospital, which is, you know, an enormous academic medical center, very complicated, amazing people working super hard, but not very um, collaborative. I mean, it was very much siloed. And the people were, one of my favorite expressions about Columbia is that Columbia is a great place. It's just not an easy place because it, everyone worked super hard to get the same amount of things done. And I, I picked up on that, 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 that there, were, there should be ways of creating synergies and making the academic medical center, um, you know, more um, collegial, more collaborative, leveraging the three missions. Um, and that was hard to do at Columbia. You know, it's the oldest medical school in the United States. It's pretty set in its way. It's very successful, but it's landlocked and, and it has limits to what, what, what you can do in, in, in building programs. So when, I was quite happy there, but out of the blue, the, um, you know, the chancellor, Marianne Fox at UC San Diego said, if you behave this time, you, know, you, you can come back to UC San Diego. And I said, I would do my very best. Um, and I would say I probably knew two thirds of the people um, from when I was there as a fellow and junior faculty member, because very few people leave San Diego. Um, and, but I saw the opportunity with, um, with uh, open footprints and, and the, the, uh, the hospital situation and the clinical activities to really, really make a difference. To use what I learned at Yale and Columbia and um, UNC and NIH and try to apply all that to as vice chancellor. So the upside was enormous. Yeah, so I mean, with the themes that I'm hearing there are understanding scale and synergy and making those two line up and do it in a place where there's an open footprint, where that kind of growth and that kind of synergy may have been easier to, to, to pull together. Yeah, I think that's, pretty unique to UC San Diego. I mean, I think the quality of patient care at Columbia is just sky high. The, the physicians are just amazing. I thought the collegiality at UNC was amazing. Uh, you know, there, there are all these things, but, but they did not have all the opportunities that UC San Diego did. You know, you know, and um, when I came back, some things had changed, but a lot of things hadn't. And one of the things that hadn't was the academic medical center. Um, when I was a fellow here in 1985, I was told with a completely straight face that David, we have enough, t enough patients to teach you how to do endoscopy. <laughs> you know, it was not an academic medical center that was a destination, was not an academic medical center that, that, that was a quaternary care for the community and that sophisticated patients um, in San Diego would leave and go to LA or, 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 or go to MD Anderson or go to Boston, but, but it, it was not felt that, that the university provided that, that kind of um, academic health system, you know, um, patient um, opportunities. So one of the mantras I, I developed was that I didn't want anyone to have to leave San Diego for their healthcare. I thought that was a, a reasonable goal that we could do. And another mantra was that um, the, um, the, the research and the um, clinical programs are not conflicting, but are actually complementary. 
there was a big concern that if you put more resources into clinical care, the, the, the research would suffer. Because you know, the, the idea was the pie was only so big, so you, and depending how you split it up, you get different results. And I had to convince people, which I think is right, that, that the, the pie can grow, that you actually bring in more resources. You're not competing for the fixed amount of resources, but you actually bring in more. And the data shows that, right? I mean, the, there's more than enough evidence to prove that you were right. Yeah. I mean, so, so you know, the, the, the clinical activity is more doubled, but the research activity has also increased tremendously. Yes, yes. So, so, so you would think that you could do one or the other. And a lot of pl places have decided to do one or the other. You know, there are places that are just pure research places, very little clinical activity. And then there are places that are, you know, world renowned for their um, clinical care and a very limited research. You know, program. So, so, so I think that that to do this was you know took um, you know a lot of um, convincing you know and and leadership you know and buy-in from the faculty, and, and there was a lot of um, concern at the beginning. You know that, that you know we started thinking about building Jacobs Medical Center. You know, a, over a billion dollar you know beautiful state-of-the-art um, inpatient um, facility. They would say, well, "Why are you doing this? Are we not going to build new labs?" But then we built, you know, the, you know, the uh, biomedical research facility, you know, uh, too. We, we built, we built the uh, Altman Clinical and Translational Research Institute. We built all these research buildings. And then there was concern that, you know, well, is the, you know, is the teaching going to suffer? Because we always took a lot of pride in teaching medical students, particularly being colleagues and, and the medical students engaging, you know, with the faculty. And yet, you know, we're able to do a completely new curriculum. We're able to build a beautiful, you know, Sanford. Um, Medical education telemedicine building, you know, you know, which is just everyone from all the country comes to visit the the the, um, um, the, the um, simulation center. So, so I really think that we, we were able to do all three missions in, in, in a very, you know, interactive collegial way. That the the, the, the training is better because the hospital is better. You know, the, the hospital is better because there's a great clinical and translational research program. The basic research is better because now you can get clinical materials to study and to understand. So I, I really think that that, that, that has been enormous um, improvement. And the other thing that was very different from um, Yale and Columbia and even UNC compared to UCSD was this idea of philanthropy and community engagement. Uh, there was very little philanthropy when I was a junior faculty member here in 1985, and there was very little, <laughs> not that much more when I came back. There was a campaign, but if you look at um, the health sciences, we were doing about $45 million a year in philanthropy, which is okay, but this year was our best year, you know, fast forward, you know, and it's $180 million. So it's, it's, I mean, it's a completely different order of magnitude. I mean, it's completely different. And what you can do if you can raise that amount of money to build programs, to build clinical activities, to educate um, students is completely different than what you can do when you're functioning at a lower level. Yeah, so the, the story then has David coming here. There's, there's scale up, there's synergy, and there's you know, the sense of community that allows these donors to understand how building a stronger UCSD really builds a stronger San Diego and it builds a stronger environment for not just discovery, but for care. So now that would have been enough, right? That are, those challenges were great enough. And now you're facing new ones. Tell us how you're responding 
to this completely unexpected and really difficult uh, pandemic. So, I mean, so I, I'm sure everyone has told you this, that COVID-19 is completely different than any of our experiences, yours or mine. Yeah. You know, the previous people you interviewed, you know, Patty Mason, Steve Garfin, it's completely different. Totally. So, um, so you, you have to use what you know, but then be willing to admit, what you know, it's, it's very good to know what you don't know. I mean, it's very good to know that you don't, that you don't know things and you have to work them out and be flexible. And, um, it, it, and sometimes, sometimes, you know, things are imposed upon you and, and you, you just deal with what's imposed upon you. But sometimes you have an opportunity to, to initiate things and, and decide to do things differently. And, and that's where critical decisions are made. Um, so the things that were imposed upon us to a large extent was that we closed, um, um, all non-emergency um, clinical care. Um, we um, took our students off of the um, off their clinical activities, off the wards, off the clinics. Um, we stopped um, giving lectures, you know, and larger groups for students. And we scaled way back on our um, research programs. So, so a couple months ago, it was enormous, you know, screeching halt, you know, putting on the brakes in all three missions. I never, ever saw anything like that. And that was, to a large extent, imposed. We did use a little creativity. For example, we have an amazing research portfolio. We are very dependent upon timed experiments and, and certain things that we need to do. Um, and I thought that um, our leadership, you know, including you know, uh, the chancellor and the vice chancellor for research, really were very rational in, um, in saying, we can do uh, critical experiments as long as, you, as we um, continue to follow public health um, recommendations. So in other words, we, we, could, we could maintain our animal colonies as long as only one person at a time was in a mouse house room. We could continue to do critical timed experiments as long as only a single person using PPE, using social distancing was in the lab at one time. That I thought was a very rational decision based upon extreme circumstance. Right. Other institutions took a very different tack. They called their mouse colonies, they, they closed their labs, they locked them up and they went home and they're gonna have an enormous difficulty getting, getting started again. So I thought that was, that was very rational and we're now discussing, as, as you and I can discuss going on, how do you, in a, in a stepwise fashion, get back to doing research, get back to doing patient care, and get back to teaching. And so, so, so this is really an opportunity for us to be creative, thoughtful, and show leadership to minimize the damage of the COVID-19 pandemic and also to be creative in coming up with solutions. And some of the solutions, we talked about, is there a silver lining here somewhere? Yeah. Some of the solutions, might actually stick even after this is long gone and we find that we can do things better you know as you know Rahm Emanuel says never waste a crisis mm -hmm. and, and and this is a crisis and there are things we're trying that that I bet will become part of our standard repertoire that we would not have done if we would not had a crisis you know I think it's it's really that spirit that is so important for us to hold on to first of all the humility to know that we don't know stuff and that we, yeah. we're going <laughs> to learn by only if we listen carefully, only if we ask the right questions. And then the idea that 
look while we're at it, how crazy would it be for us not to learn from this in a way that allowed us to innovate going forward? And so, David, we thank you for your leadership. We know you're working hard. We appreciate very much your efforts. And uh, thanks for all you've done for UCSD and continue to do for us. Thanks, David. Thank you for, um, you know, for strong leadership with Sanford Institute, the empathy and compassion. I think it's going to become a vital part of the UC San Diego community and beyond. I think we're going to really teach people the role of empathy and compassion um, in, um, in healthcare and just in general in life. So let me, let me give you a paraphrase before we go. Um, Sir William Osler, the founder of Modern American Medicine, said physicians should know three things. Everyone gets the first two, which is skills and knowledge. What people forget, the third thing that he said every physician needs is compassion. Yeah. So, so he said, without all three, you'll never be a great physician. So we're sort of rediscovering what, what, what he taught us a century ago. Anyway, thank you, Bill. We it's are. Thanks, David, so much.